Hallelujah. We stand in awe. We stand in awe. Amen. What a Savior we have today. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We're so glad each and every one of you are here. What a dynamic presence of God that has just ushered into this place. And I know that most of you know why you're here. We have come today to celebrate at the Lord's table. When I go to a nice restaurant, I want to take my time. They sometimes bring chips. They ask me if I want to order appetizers. They bring a main course. We sit around, maybe we'll have dessert and coffee. And I've stayed at restaurants for a good meal and fellowship for a few hours. We don't even have to stay that long today. I think in a good hour and a half or less, we can sup at the master's table. And surely we have already had some great appetizers that have come. I, I'm going to try to be a part of the main course, and then I just believe we're going to top it off with some dessert, and God's presence is going to come down in this place. Can you say amen? amen. I have a short sermon that will tie in with the communion supper. And I want us, as we begin reading in our text in 2 Samuel 4, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and Luke 22, I want you to pay attention to the word table in there. We'll begin in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It's on the overhead. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. But David, being a man after God's own heart, did not pursue Saul's family to murder them. But we read in 2 Samuel 9, The king said, that's David, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Aren't you glad that one day the king asked, Where are you? He came looking for you. And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. 
But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And we're reading now in Luke 22, speaking of Jesus, When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve disciples with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Thank you for listening to the extended reading of God's Word. The table is a special place. It's a place on which food is placed. It's an eating place where we gather to commune with each other. But to sit at a table with a king, perhaps even God in flesh, would be an amazing thing. And so today I want to talk about the table. According to the biblical narrative in 2 Samuel, Mephibosheth was five years old when both his father and grandfather, speaking of Jonathan and Saul, died at the battle of Mount Gilboa. After their deaths, Mephibosheth's nurse, fearing that he would be killed and assassinated, fled the royal palace in a panic. And in her haste to get away, carrying a five-year-old plus who knows what else she had on her mind, the child either fell or was dropped while fleeing and somehow in that process perhaps shattered his bones or perhaps his spine and it left him unable to walk, being lame, maimed in both feet. In those days when a king who had not been part of the family of the previous king, when he took the throne, it was typical for the new king to track down all of the prior king's family and murder them, lest he should go after the throne at a later time, claiming to be the heir of the kingdom. And so they would go after and murder all of the potential usurpers of the throne. And because of this, when news reached Saul's palace, all of his family fled in fear. And there were many other sons of Saul besides uh, Jonathan and Mephibosheth who fled in fear. Mephibosheth eventually landed, the biblical narrative tells us, in a place called Lodabar where he was brought up and raised to adulthood. And some years after this, when David, the great warrior, had subdued all of the adversaries of Israel, he began to recollect his friend named Jonathan. And those of you that know the Bible, you remember the unique relationship that they had. It shouldn't have been. There should have been jealousy on both sides. There should have been rivalry. Jonathan was not jealous that David was going to be the next king. And David wasn't jealous that Jonathan still had a place next to Saul, even while David was being hunted by Saul, 
like a dead dog waiting for his time to come. They were friends. They communed. They loved God together. They were both children of faith. And so when David began to recollect, he said, Hey, I wonder if there's somebody that I can show kindness to. Is there anybody that I can honor Jonathan by honoring him? And so David discovered that Mephibosheth was residing in a particular house. And so he sent royal messengers to that house. And eventually Mephibosheth and his infant son was invited to reside at the king's table continually in Jerusalem. And the one who feared probably for his life was finally at rest, knowing that at the king's table he was safe. In this beautiful story that we have just briefly highlighted today, we see a picture of Christ in David and a picture of saved sinners in Mephibosheth. Early in his life, Mephibosheth suffered a fall that left him lame and crippled in both feet. And for people of that day, it was disastrous. A person who could not walk would be unable to do almost anything for himself. 100% reliant upon somebody else and others. That's our condition in sin. Just as Mephibosheth fell, we, we have fallen in the same state. The Bible says in Romans, through the hand of Paul, he said, for all have sinned and we've come short or we've fallen short of God's glory. And so spiritually, if I can use this word, we have been crippled by the fall. And to change your situation, you could not come to the king's table by yourself. You didn't have the strength in your legs to get up and rise and walk to where he was. In fact, even if you did, you did not have an invitation to come into the king's court. But one day... There was a king that said, I wonder if there's somebody I can show kindness to. I wonder if there's somebody who's in a far-off place that I can say, hey, come on back to my table and commune and sit down with me. Aren't you glad that one day the king sent a messenger with an invitation? And it should have been a message that said, you're on death row. It should have been a message that says you failed the king. It, you're a threat to his kingdom because you are imperfect. You could be a potential usurper, but I'm so glad that the invitation that I received was a message full of grace and full of mercy. And it wasn't one of judgment, but it said, hey, there's a table prepared for you. Why don't you come from Lodabar and sit at my table? So when Mephibosheth received it, it was shocking news. He knew he could be considered an enemy of David, unworthy to sit at his table. So his whole, from age five to whatever adulthood age he was, knowing he had an infant son that came with him, from age five to probably his late teens or early twenties, he was hiding. He never went seeking for the king because of fear. And in our lost condition, we were an enemy of God. The Bible tells us we were enemies that were reconciled by His cross. We were unworthy to come to where He was to sit at His table eye to eye with the King. And so we were in hiding 
just like Adam was, knowing our condition before God. But just like in the case of Adam, and in the case of Mephibosheth, the king made the first move. Mephibosheth did not do anything to signal that he was even interested in being found. In fact, it was the opposite. He didn't do anything to be reconciled to King David. This is why it's so awesome of what we read here in the type of Christ that we see depicted here. Mephibosheth was disabled. He couldn't get to where the king was. He was unworthy. He, didn't he couldn't fight. He didn't have value. He couldn't be one of David's mighty men. He wasn't anybody that could be useful in the kingdom. But yet David called for Mephibosheth to show loving kindness to his household. And so once inside, we are told that Mephibosheth was treated as a son. We find in 2 Samuel 9 that Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's own sons. In the same way you and I today have been adopted by the king, we have been invited to sit at his table. John said in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John, See how great a love the Father hath bestowed on us that we would be called the sons and daughters, the children of God. We have been invited today once again to sit at His table. You see, the communion table can be glass. It could be wood. It could be cardboard if necessary, plastic or metal. But at the table there is grace. There is healing. There is power. At the table there is communion with the body of Christ. And there is communion with the blood and body of the Lord Jesus. And we have been invited continually to sit at His table. You see, there are three benefits that I want to bring to us before we enter into our communion fellowship. The first benefit that comes to Mephibosheth and to us is that we are rescued from Lodabar. The meaning of Lodabar says this, it's a place of not having, a place of no pasture, which means no rest, no provision. It was a place of forgotten people, good-for-nothings, outcasts, dependents, the unclean, sinners. But in that place, he received the invitation to come to the king's table. And once he got there from Lodabar, can you imagine? It was like a leper colony. It was a far-off place. He gets an invitation. He goes from Lodabar to a palace at the king's table. And he realized that even in spite of his fear as he was walking there or being carried there, he realized that when he got there that the thoughts of the king towards him were not evil, but they were good. Thoughts of peace to give Mephibosheth and to give you an expected end. The second thing that happened to Mephibosheth and to us when the king beckoned is that he was restored from his lame condition. It, it doesn't say that he was healed, but some of the consequences of his fall were healed. 
He was restored to royalty. He was an outcast in hiding. He had royal DNA from Saul and Jonathan in his body. He was of the royal house of Saul. Grandpa was king. Daddy was going to be king. He was a prince, an heir to the throne. But in Lodabar, he had none of that. But when David said, you can come and sit in my table, I'm going to make you a son. I'm going to restore to you the royal blood and fellowship that you had before you got dropped and before your grandpa and daddy got killed. I'm going to make you a prince again. You're going to sit at my table. When I say my son's names, I'm going to say Mephibosheth in the same manner. You have a right to be there. And he was restored from the hurts of the past. He forgot what had happened when he was five. Because when you're at the table, guess what? Nobody can see just how broken you are. You're side by side with all the fighting men. You're side by side with all of the king's sons. Your feet, your brokenness, your lameness is hidden beneath the table. And you are face to face with the king. He's not looking at your legs. He's not looking at your brokenness. But he's seeing a son and a daughter sitting there at his table with everybody else. And the same meat that he eats. And the same meat that his children eat. You're eating in the same way. Your hands still work. Your mouth can still commune. Your eyes can still see. And nobody cares that your feet are broken. Nobody cares that you're sitting there imperfect because your brokenness has been covered at the table. Nobody expected him to run or fight. All that they desired of Mephibosheth to stay in relationship was that when he was beckoned to the banquet, that he came. He didn't have to show his strength by holding a sword. But when beckoned by the king as a son, you don't deny the call of a king to come at his table. And so he would walk or be pushed into the king's banquet hall on level ground with everybody else. Don't let this suit fool you. Don't let it fool you. Don't let the other suits fool you. The hairdos, the reflections in the mirror that are gorgeous. You guys are a good-looking bunch. But if we were to share the truth about ourselves, I'm just as broken as you, and I am called again to the king's table. He doesn't bring the leftovers to the broken. He brings the best meat. He brings the best bread, the, bre the best butter, the best wine. And you're partakers with Him. You're communing together, which means you're enjoying the same thing, which is relationship and fellowship. So, Mephibosheth invested or ingested the bounty of the king. And... I wanted to bring this point out. I kind of already did, but table legs. Not the legs of the table, but we've got table legs. Which means everything is hidden when we come to the table.
things that were pronounced about our lives and the sins and the addictions and the struggles that we have when we come to the table. God restores us to royalty. Pardon is granted. Sins are covered. The evidence of your fallen condition is covered at the king's table. My last point in this is that love is renewed. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness, the loving kindness, the said of God? And so David called for Mephibosheth. He didn't come himself because the king always sends a message through a messenger. And if you receive the message of the messenger, that is your access to the king's table. Jesus is inviting you through this messenger with his message to his table. I don't know why he picked that certain messenger to deliver the news that day. I don't know why he picked me to deliver this news today and Brother Bales in a couple weeks, but every once in a while he just selects a messenger with a message to invite you to the table of the king. That word, loving kindness, kased, is a beautiful Hebrew word depicting what God did through Christ in bringing us into his presence. And that word lame in the second part of that first scripture that I read has a dual meaning. And that meaning is pakah. It can also mean to pass over. So when Mephibosheth was lame, he was dropped and passed over. It indicated that all the people in haste kind of ran and forgot about him for a moment. He was neglected, passed over. He lived that way in his life. And it seems to me that he felt like some of us have felt before, that everybody else has run by us. Life has passed us by. Everybody's ran by where we are, but one day you got an invitation from the king and he did not pass you by. He invited you in to his presence. And that word pakah, that lame, he was passed by. It's the same word in Exodus 12. When the Lord says he will pass over the houses marked with the blood of the lamb. You see, life may have passed you by, but when you receive an invitation from the king, the only thing that's going to pass over you is his judgment. He's going to take you into safety at his table, and judgment will pass over you because you're loved by the king. As Nada comes to play, and as our messenger will go bring the Sunday school teachers and children in with us, the world's most expensive table sold at an auction for $4.6 million. And you're looking at it. This was in January of 1990 at a Christie's auction house in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That value today is about $7.5 million. It's called the Tuft Pier Table, named after Thomas Tuft, its original creator. It was hand-carved in the 1700s, resulting in a beautiful and unique design. 
And one of the features that makes this table so valuable were its long legs ending in narrow ankles with detailed ball and claw feet. And another reason for its value was that it has remained completely original and intact for this long and has a special design and provenance that makes it even more unique. You see, it remains in man's estimation the world's most valuable table. But today in front of me, there is a table of extreme value. Measured not in millions, but in eternal value. It's priceless. And it's remained original and intact for 2,000 years. Its provenance originated in an eternal blueprint. And it was crafted by the carpenter from Nazareth. It is the Lord's table. You can't even see Him today, but He is there in our midst. He has come to commune with us and He has invited you and I in to be seated with Him in heavenly places. And just like Mephibosheth and disciples, we have been called to the King's table. It's not just any table. If you'll receive it, it's the most valuable table in history. It's the table of the King, the Lord of glory. And as the children are gathering in, the sacrament of communion is one that we will enter into reverently. And as we approach this sacred time, let me read the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 26. I'll read it in the message version. Paul says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master Himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus on the night of His betrayal took bread. Having given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, He did the same thing with the cup. The cup is my blood. My new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You will be drawn back to this meal at the King's table again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Do this to remember me. All four Gospels mention the Lord's Supper. It is an ordinance. It is a sacrament. It is a religious rite of the early church and our church. And on this first communion, the disciples thought they were simply celebrating the normal Passover. The night that the lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the doorposts. They ate bitter herbs. The death angel passed over and they were released from bondage. But Oh, if they could have known how sacred that moment was and what was about to happen over the next period of time, they might have soaked in just a little bit more. There are two elements of the communion supper, wine, 
represents the blood and body of the Lord and the benefits which flow to us from it. And then the bread, the unleavened bread, represents His body that was broken. It's also a type of sin in the Bible, and it represents Christ's broken body releases us from sin because His body was sinless. And then we're commanded two things. First, to remember. Jesus, for some reason, felt the need to remind the disciples to not forget. He knew that within a century, the church would flourish. Thousands and millions would come. Positions would be held. Books would be written. Denominations would be formed. Status would be gained. Cathedrals would be built. Talented singers and musicians would gain followers. Ministries would be started. And people with itching ears would heap up to themselves preachers. And even an empire would be Christianized. But would we remember who started it all? That it was that itinerant preacher from Nazareth. And so why don't we close our eyes for just a moment and let us remember Him now in a silent prayer or humble praise. Let us adore the King who has invited us into His presence. How could we forget? Can you forget His crying in the garden in the darkness of Gethsemane and that while three slept, one prayed? Can those of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus forget His sacrifice? It's inconceivable that those of us who have been loved with the highest love could forget the One who loved us enough to give His life for us. And could we ever forget the One who has never forgotten us? Jesus thought we could. And so He told us to remember. And in remembering, we affirm three things. Our belief in His death, our commitment to live for Him, and our faith in His return. And then He said to do this. He said, Verily I say unto you, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. You may lift your eyes, please. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The words, you have no life in you, originates from the Greek word zoe, which means sustaining life. In partaking of the Lord's Supper, eating at His table, we are given nourishment, day-to-day -day nourishment, as it were, that allows us to live and to be sustained. He said, do this. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the constant feeding of the soul, energized by the power and presence of God. And I want our ministers to come. Brother Green to stand here. Brother Bales to stand to my right. This new life that we have been given must have nourishment. Therefore, we are baptized only once in the name of Jesus. But the new life just begun must be strengthened through the table of the Lord. So this is a powerful moment in our fellowship at the Lord's table this afternoon. 
we remember Christ. And I want to invite those that can to stand. And just in a moment, you will be coming down the center aisle. I'll release the back row first. You'll come down the center aisle, return to your places. If you are unable to get up or do not feel it necessary to do so, one of our ministers will come back and receive the communion with you. And so we remember by doing this as partakers of the communion meal. Sister Ann, if you could leave the back row and come and receive the body and the blood of the Lord. And please on the left side as well. as you return to your seats after receiving that will you please be in prayerful remembrance This is the gift of God for the people of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the Lord's table. Let all who love the Lord participate freely and with joy. In the upper room, Christ instituted communion with these words and actions. In their retelling, we are reminded of His promise to forgive us and to be among us. We give you thanks that the Lord Jesus, on the night before He died, took bread. And after giving thanks, He broke it and gave to His disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In reverence now, please partake of the bread symbolizing the body of the Lord Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. In reverence, please partake of the fruit of the vine, symbolizing the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus said every time that we would eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until He comes. When we break the bread, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? When we give thanks over the cup, is it not a sharing of the blood of Christ? I want us now to sing and lift our hands and thank God for inviting us to His table, for covering our condition before Him, for giving us the privilege to see the King face to face, to be one of His sons and daughters seated with Him in heavenly places. Why don't we sing this song together today?